guys. I hope you enjoyed belting that out at home. It was so frustrating being here. I wanted to just cry out. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you guys. That was wonderful. And uh, welcome to the second week of Advent here at Glasgow Grace. Um, you have no idea just how much I wish uh, you were all here and that uh, this wasn't all being done online. But uh, hopefully next week is the week. Right? Trusting in Nicola for that? Maybe. Um, yeah, we'll see. But we really hope that we can be impressed next week. Now, this Christmas series is called You Expect Me to Believe This. It's not exactly the cheery kind of fa-la-la-la-las that you might all want. Um, it's not the kind of uh, normal <laughs> Christmas message that you might expect. Come on, Ian, where's the quaint stories about receiving gifts and generosity and peace? Give us those. But um, this is no ordinary story, and I think it is very important that we try and explain what really is going on here. Angels appear. An old woman and a virgin get pregnant after visitations from angels. A man is made mute. Mysterious wise men are given a star, and then they follow this star for hundreds of miles. We have all kinds of strange things going on in this story. But it's not just some mythical story. It's not just another story to tell. We believe this changed everything. This is a story everyone needs to hear. And actually, there is a yearning in all of us and all of humanity for this story. Today we ask, can we believe in angels appearing? So let me read to you from three passages from Dr. Luke's gospel account. He records these angelic appearings. So if you have a Bible, hopefully you have one in the house somewhere, uh, scramble, try and find one. Uh, Luke chapter 1 is where we are, and uh, we're going to start in verse 11. I'm reading from the NIV. It says this. Nearly there. One more page. Okay, verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Then skip through to verse 26. It says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. 
But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then lastly, chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born today to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The Bible mentions angels almost 300 times, and they do all kinds of things. They guard, they fight, they deliver messages, they minister to God's people. We can even entertain angels without being aware of it. We see them singing unending songs in heaven, and they can even choose not to worship God, but to worship Satan instead, or follow Satan, fall like Satan. Revelation describes thousands upon thousands of angels singing songs, declaring the goodness of God. But truth is, they're still mysterious to us. Some people have tried to come up with all kinds of ways of trying to describe how they all interact with each other and their different levels and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, they're mysterious. We can confidently say this, though. They are not those chubby, rosy-cheeked, winged, strange-looking creatures on clouds playing harps, okay? We can keep those on art in the Middle Ages and say, well, that's not really what the Bible says about them. In a world that relies on empiricism, this idea that for anything to be real, it must be testable and repeatable, we are suspicious of mystery. Yet, we are still captivated by mystery. There's still something about mystery that we love, even pursue. Thousands of people across Glasgow are going to probably, and across Scotland, they're going to pop themselves down, I would imagine, after all their Christmas trimmings and they're stuffed full to the brim and watch films that are filled with all kinds of otherworldly kingdoms. Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Star Wars, The Hunger Games, The Chronicles of Narnia, even those ridiculous Van Roms, my wife, Lindsay, loves those, uh, like Twilight. Not impressed. Our kids are taken by fairy tales. This morning, my three-year-old Annabelle invited me into her unicorn land, and I ate from the fruit of multicolored trees. Now, not everyone loves those kinds of films, and not everyone, every child loves fairy tales, but we all need mystery. We desire to break out of our scene realities to discover something beyond. 
We might experience something of it in pieces of art or music. People might enjoy people watching in a new city or as they travel. Maybe it's looking out to the waves, crashing in on a deserted beach. For me, it's often stars. Okay, imagine this. Post-lockdown, you decide to take a wee trip out to the Trossics. It's a clear night, and I want you to imagine that not only is it a clear night, but there are no midges, okay? I know, miracles happen, right? And as you lie back, you stare up at the stars, embers glowing beside you from the fire that's fading, and you're with your friends. No one's really saying much. Just trying to enjoy the moment. This moment where you sit in silence and the inability to take it all in leaves you in wonder and in awe. Sure, you're intrigued about what's out there, but in that moment, you just want to break out of that empirical box. You, you just want to enjoy the mystery of the unknown. So when some plonker you're with decides to show off and teach you the science in that moment, they ruin the whole thing, don't they? Just shut your mouth. Oh, just be quiet for one minute. I'm enjoying this, this moment I'm having where I'm like breaking out of my norm, out of my usual experiences. And there's there's, I can sense that there's something more, and I can't really put it into words, and I can't really understand it, but there's a mystery about it all that I know that I am in some way made for. You feel like that because in those moments, we sense that there is something more, something unseen that is better, more wonderful beyond our own life and experience. Great author and philosopher C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, It is something which you were born desiring and which beneath the flux of other desires and in all the momentary silences between the louder passions, night and day, year by year, from childhood to old age, you are looking for, watching for, listening for. You have never had it. All the things that have ever deeply possessed your soul have been but hints of it, tantalizing glimpses, promises never quite fulfilled, echoes that died away just as they caught your ear. But if it should really become manifest, if there ever came an echo that did not die away, but swelled into the sound itself, you would know it. If there is nothing beyond, no unseen reality, no better kingdom, no God, nothing for us to transcend to outside of our seen realities, our humdrum every day, then these are nothing but breaks in the weather, fleeting enjoyments, little fantasies to take us away from our reality. But what these mysterious celestial beings came to announce was something way better than us breaking out of 
our life's seen realities. That's something people have been trying to do for centuries without any real success. What they announce is that this unseen reality, this mystery beyond us, comes to us. The better kingdom is coming to us. Angels wonder at mysteries too, you know. They continually gaze upon God and his everlasting goodness, worshiping him day and night and night and day. But it is the message they are given to deliver that 1 Peter 1.12 says the angels long to look into. The wonder of God himself coming into the world as a human being, a baby. The word of God, God eternal becoming flesh. That is what they want to look into. That is what they wonder at. That's what they're in awe of. God himself coming into the world, wailing, learning to feed, to crawl, to talk, stubbing his toe, getting viruses, how to, how to work out how to become a brother, work out how to be a good son, friend. And then he was rejected, beaten, mocked, killed. And he did it all for you. For you. He did it. Because of love. That is what the angels long to look into. Imagine their existence in the heavenly realms. Imagine what is there, the glories, the wonders, all the things that they could gaze upon, the one thing that they want to look more into, the one thing that they are so keen to know more about, the one thing that causes them to just stop and be in awe, apart from God himself, is this, your salvation. You, that God would love you and come on this rescue mission for you and die for you and be resurrected from the dead and offer you eternal life and welcome you into his presence. Your salvation is a book the angels cannot put down. It's a film that they cannot take their eyes off. These angels came as God's messengers, great liberation announcers. In the Christmas story, they came to tell us about the one coming to break us free. The angels announce that this mystery beyond us, always seemingly just out of our reach, has actually come. God himself has come to be with us and bring about this better kingdom. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were childless and old. They were shamed and judged. In a religious society where patriarchy was at the heart of this society, and you hadn't been able to bear a son, no, not even that, you hadn't been able to bear a child, 
meant that they assumed God had some kind of curse on you. These faithful people, these good people, had been rejected. But God loves turning seeming curses into blessings. He's, he does it throughout Scripture. You, you cannot miss it. You can't go one book of the Bible without realizing that God loves to turn curses into blessings. How are you feeling right now? Maybe there's shame in your life. You feel ashamed. Maybe you feel judged. Well, God is full of compassion. And he weeps with you. When everyone abandons you and doubts you and doesn't see you, God still does see you. Do not run from God in the despair. Find refuge in him, for he is for you. Luke says in chapter 1, verse 6, that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous before God. Now, that does not mean that they were perfect. It means that they lived for God. It means that they kept honoring him through it all, even when they were shunned, even when they didn't get to take part in the community in the way that they should have been, even when they were judged, they kept turning up, they kept being faithful, they kept doing what they should do as worshiping people in the community of God. Years of turning up when they didn't feel like it. Years of feeling left out and still joining in in worship. Years of people judging them and still loving in return. Now here, as Zechariah offers incense in the temple, representing the prayers of God's people, the angel Gabriel appears and he promises a child to them. A child who will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah comes out mute but to draw <laughs> what he'd been told on the ground. Elizabeth becomes pregnant in her old age and John was born, John the Baptist, the one who came preaching, prepare the way of the Lord. Elizabeth and Zechariah didn't then go, oh, we're vindicated, ha, told you so, told you we weren't cursed, you guys were idiots for judging us, ha, ha, they didn't do that. Their response was worship. Their, their response wasn't, wasn't to be proud, their response was to continue the way that they always continued, to trust in God, to worship why? It's because they trusted God that they were able to worship. And they were right to. The baby Elizabeth's cousin carried was God in the flesh, and he was later rejected by God's people in God's city, Jerusalem. In fact, he was not even killed in the city. The king went into the city should have been enthroned in the city if they'd known who he was. But instead, he was rejected and removed from the city. And he was killed on a Roman cross on Golgotha Hill, outside the city. The greatest of ironies, God himself rejected from the city of God. 
on the cross, Jesus was rejected and shamed so God could welcome us into his presence and honor us with his own, as his own sons and daughters. In shame and rejection, God sees you. He suffered for you so that he could honor you and welcome you as his own. This God who we all need, who we all yearn for, who we all can see in that mystery that we see around us and that we so desire to get beyond our own humdrum lives to see the greatness of God, this glory that we're supposed to live for, you have been joined with Jesus, God's Son, in that place. That's honor. That's a welcome that you need. That is the welcome of God. You've been welcomed into his presence, honored as a son or a daughter. And one day, he will come again to take you home. And so we can hope like Zechariah hoped, like Elizabeth hoped. The angels announced that this mystery beyond us is God and he has come to be with us. That he has come with a better kingdom. When Gabriel appears to this virgin Mary, she is betrothed to a man called Joseph. Now Mary was the type of girl you would never have noticed. A young woman with no status, no real prestige, living in a town with very little going on. People used to joke about Nazareth. Nothing good comes from there. No wonder she was alarmed when Gabriel turned up. What are you appearing to me for? He tells her she is highly favored before God. This doesn't mean Hail Mary, full of grace. Okay, so that, that's where that phrase comes from and is used in the Catholic Church. We don't worship Mary. We honor her as a servant of God who God lavished with grace. Sometimes we've missed that in the Protestant church, just how much we should honor her as a wonderful character of the Bible, someone full of faith that God has lavished grace upon. Mary was stuck in a town where she was really not going anywhere very exciting. If you watch enough You Can Do It YouTubers or, or read enough how to be successful books, then you might believe that you are destined for greatness. Well, maybe, some kind of worldly greatness, maybe. But the truth is most people in most places and at most times are destined to be very forgettable. That's a cheery, cheery thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> what a hopeful message that is. You're forgettable. Hey, it's true. So what do we do with it? <laughs> Sorry to burst your bubble. Perhaps the world's obsession with becoming a somebody when you're discovering that so far you're a nobody is causing you to get down. Well, in Luke one thirty-eight, we see that Mary can willingly and wholeheartedly submit to God's call on her life, calling herself a servant, which actually meant slave girl. That is how much she's willing to 
abandon herself to God, say, oh, I'm willing to follow you no matter what. Even though she was someone who, now that she was pregnant, could be killed under the law, even though, as Matthew's gospel tells us, that Joseph might have divorced her, causing her shame and financial ruin as a single mom, even though that was true, she was still willing to serve God wholeheartedly. Because again, she trusted God. And again, she was right to. Jesus would do a great reversal and share his, as her son, his eternal life and heavenly inheritance with her. He would give her life. He would give her his inheritance. He is the one who will be called great, says Gabriel, the son of the most high. He shares his greatness with Mary. And he shares his greatness with us, honoring us, bringing us in to his heavenly inheritance. We won't be worshipped like he is, but he brings us in as honored sons and daughters. And he brings us in to this inheritance that is his, this heavenly inheritance. Reminds me of um, Mary's obedience and her willingness to just lay herself down, realizing that it's not about her. Realizing that if she gives herself to God, that is where she'll be satisfied no matter what happens around her, no matter the circumstances. It reminds me of what Johnny brought to us last week about Tychicus. It was a brilliant word. Maybe you desire greatness. Maybe you desire to be a somebody. You're discovering that actually, in many ways, like most of us, we're forgettable. Well, you put your trust in God he will never forget you. And you will be honored and joined in to his inheritance and eternal life. The angels have announced that this mystery beyond us is God's, and he has come to us with a better kingdom. Now, these poor shepherds were often having to resort to stealing as they roamed around the countryside. These were people who didn't have hardly a penny to their name. And again, rejected in society. Rejected from worship because they were seen as unclean. People didn't want to touch them, go near them. This is who God decides should be first to go and celebrate the arrival of the Messiah. This is good news to the poor. God welcomes all of us. And in this story, we see that this yearning we have to break out of our everyday experience, to, to see that there is more, to discover what that something more is, we see that it is then given to all of us. Especially 
the rejected, especially the shamed, especially the poor. God is welcoming all of us, but he has this special place in his heart for those who are humble, rejected, poor. And you know, those who are seen as dirty, people we don't want to go near, people we don't want to touch, God adores them. And Jesus went to the cross to cleanse us from our sin and to make us rich in grace. Maybe you're poor. Maybe you're worried about losing your job right now and the implications. Let me read these words from Ephesians 1 about what Jesus has done for you. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And then we get to join in with this same mission. God gives us a place in spreading this good news that these messengers have announced. So if you're serving at the night shelter this week, if you've been giving gifts to the toy bank through your grace community, if you've been noticing people on your street who are in need of help, if you're taking the opportunities to share the good news with people this Christmas, if you have difficult family members or friends who you know you need to keep loving because God has kept loving you, then you are joining with his mission this Christmas. Let's look for those opportunities. Let's look for those chances where we can say, ah, yes, I get to join with the mission of God in doing this for you. And let's be like these angels who worship day and night, night and day. We want to not just worship in song, but worship with our whole beings, our whole lives. Give him all the honor and glory because the king who has come deserves it. The angels have announced that this mystery beyond us is God and he has come to us with a better kingdom. This Christmas, when you're thinking of those strange stories around the nativity or you're watching box sets with mysterious creatures and kingdoms, well, maybe you'll see it with some new eyes. You'll see that we're made for more. We're made for this mystery that we yearn for. And all of those are like little signs that point us to the greatest of mysteries, that God has come. And he has become a man. He's died on the cross in your place. He's been resurrected from the dead. And one day, it is the angels who will blast loud trumpets and gather them to gather us to him. And we will go home to be with him for eternity. Let me pray for you. And then we're going to continue to uh, sing out some songs while you guys are at home. 
I wish I could. <laughs> um, so let me pray as uh, these guys come up. Father God, thank you so much that we are made for more and that those yearnings that we have, those desires we have, uh, the way in which we look into mystery in our lives, Lord, we, we thank you that they point to something so much greater. We thank you that they point to the fact that we are made for more and that you have made a way for us to enter into it. And that for eternity we can be with you. Lord, thank you for these angels that came and announced with great clarity this good news. It's good news for all of us that Jesus has come. The King has come. And he loves us. And he was willing to go to the cross in our place. Thank you, Jesus.